The title of this morning's sermon would be, What Type of Witness Are You? A question, what type of witness are you? When you think about the word witness, you've probably all seen some sort of TV show or maybe some sort of Dateline TV show where the scene that's set before you is where there's somebody accused of a particular crime and there's a, a court proceeding that takes place. And during that court proceeding, uh, those the lawyers, the prosecutors there will bring forth witnesses to testify against you know, the accused or the defense may bring witnesses up to say something different. But we all are familiar with what a witness is, right? And you know, if you look up the definition of witness, it's someone or something that testifies uh, to truth. Someone or something that testifies to truth or to uh, you know, what is right or to, uh, to prove something. So we're all very familiar with that. Now, um, sometimes the, the thing that is bearing witness or testifying is not actually a person, right? Now, uh, you may have somebody, maybe they're accused of, uh, of a great crime, and there's not a single person that they can find that says, hey, I walked into the room, I saw this person right here committing this crime, and it's a, it's a beautiful, perfect eyewitness account. Maybe you've got two or three people that will it, uh, acknowledge that. Those will be powerful witnesses to the truth, right? But we don't always have uh, necessarily eyewitnesses to the truth. There are many other things that will witness to the truth, right? If there's not an eyewitness, how many times have we seen prosecutors bring forth uh, DNA evidence, right? All right, DNA uh, does not stand up here. You know, you don't see a little DNA uh, helix walk up and bounce up here and get in the chair and begin to testify, right? But that DNA and the proof of that person's DNA being at the crime scene, maybe it's through their blood or something like that, that's a powerful witness, right? You also may have fingerprints. Hey, we found this person and we found a murder weapon there and you've got fingerprints all over it. Well, your fingerprints don't bounce up here and climb up in the, stair, in the chair and testify. They're inanimate, but they are a testimony to what is true, right? So there are many, many different kinds of witnesses and I'm not a lawyer. Brother Tim could tell you a whole lot more about it. But I would imagine what the prosecution would want was they would want very reliable witnesses, right? And you've probably seen before that the prosecution will, uh, you know, have somebody, a witness come up and they'll begin to question that witness. And when that witness gets done testifying, you're like, wow, whatever they said has got to be true. Well, then the defense attorney will stand up and he'll begin to cross-examine that witness and he may, uh, he may paint a picture of that witness very, uh, very different than what the prosecution. They say, hey, well, weren't you, uh, weren't you a couple years ago, weren't you arrested for perjury? Uh, and then a couple years ago, weren't you accused of cheating on your taxes? And, all, and just a whole long list and paint this person out in a little bit different light. And you realize, okay, that is not a reliable witness, right? They, they're liars. They live in a fantasy world. And we can't really put a whole lot of stock in what they say is being true, right? So you've got different types of witnesses. Now, when you read through the Bible, you will find many different types of witnesses described. You will find faithful witnesses. You will find ungodly witnesses. You will find false witnesses. You find true witnesses. You find unprofitable witnesses. All different types of witnesses that you may uh, come across in this life. But today, what I want to talk about is what type of witness are you? When it comes to testifying to what is true, all right? And so 
Before I get started in that, I want you to think back um, to, to just to paint a little bit better, better picture of what I've done, what I've said already, is I want you to think back about the Lord and during his life, during his ministry, how many different times the Lord made the point that here are certain things that bear witness of me. Here are certain things that testify. Maybe it's somebody, maybe it's something, but these are things that testify to the truth, to who I am, to what I'm saying, to where I came from, right? He, he says many things. One of the things that he says, <clears throat> you can read about John the 10th chapter, and I'm going to flip a lot today. You can jot them down, flip with me if you want to. John the 10th chapter, it says in verse 24, it says, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. All right, what's on trial here? The trial is who are you? We need something that will absolutely 100% testify that you are who you say you are because we don't really know. We're not 100% sure. We want some proof. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, I told you. He says, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Well, he just gave you two witnesses, right? He says, one witness is that I just told you. Now, he'll go on and tell us in other parts of the Bible that not only was his word a witness, but the word of the Father was also a witness. And the Bible tells us where two or three witnesses are gathered, let every word be established, right? So Jesus says, my words weren't good enough for you. I told you who I was. You still don't believe. So let me bring another witness forward. And that witness is my works, right? Now, we all admit, because the Bible teaches us, if you go way back into the book of Exodus, I believe it is, when Moses and Aaron are going before Pharaoh, and they're representing the Lord in a, uh, in a, where the circumstances and the scene that is about to play out is uh, a battle between the Lord and his people and Pharaoh and his hard heart and resistance. And the Lord is using, is working through Moses and Aaron and he's going to set his people free, right? Well, as Moses and Aaron begin to do things where, and the Lord through Moses and Aaron bring plagues on Egypt, do you know there are a couple times when whatever it is that they do, the Bible says the Egyptian magicians did the same, right? Now, how that happened, whether that was through some sort of power of darkness or sleight of hand, I don't know. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us. But in some way, the Egyptian magicians were able to say, well, that's not that big a deal. Watch what we can do. We can do the same thing, right? But as you go through those plagues, the Lord shut the mouths of those Egyptian magicians, right? He began to do things and they couldn't believe it. They didn't understand how that was happening and they were silenced, right? Now, other than that account of the Egyptian magicians, you can't find anywhere in the Bible where anybody comes even remotely close to the miraculous works of Jesus Christ, right? You can't find people raising people from the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. You can't find them. His works were literally not of this world. And Jesus said, when you see me walk up to the ground 
and spit on the ground and mix my spit with mud, with the dirt to make mud, and rub it on a man's eyes and tell him to go wash a man that's blind and he comes out of there and he can see, you know what that word does? That word testifies that I am the Son of God. When I stand before the tomb of Lazarus, who's dead and stinking already, wrapped in grave clothes, and I call him out of the grave by his name, when he comes out of that grave, that is something that testifies to who I am. Every time I heal the sick, every time that I give sight to the blind, raise the dead, make the lame walk, everything, all of those miraculous works, which none of us could do, are testimonies and witnesses that he is who he says he is, right? And yet they say, now tell us, like, look, now, you know, I went to school a long, long time, and the teacher could explain something so very simply. And I'm sure there were many times I just kind of sat there with my jaw open looking dumb like, huh, I don't get it. And they were probably like pulling their hair out like I couldn't explain it any easier than I just explained it. Explained it. And that's probably how Jesus feels to some degree like you're asking me to prove to you that I'm the Christ. Have you not seen the works that I've done? Because the works, according to Jesus, testified of who he was. But there's more than just the works of Jesus. I mentioned earlier to you, it was also his words. His words testified to who he is. In John the seventh chapter, in the seventh verse, he says, the world cannot hate you. He's talking to his, uh, his disciples here. He says, my world cannot hate you. The world cannot hate you. But me it hateth because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Jesus said, Jesus also says in other places that I came into this world to testify to the truth and to be a witness against the evil deeds of the world. And so as Jesus came and he taught and he began and he, he talked and he began preaching, one of the things that he was doing was testifying to who he was. Jesus, uh, Pilate says, when Jesus is arrested, Pilate therefore said unto him, Are thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I unto the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. You see, the words of Jesus Christ testified to the truth. They testify, and He is the truth. I am the truth. Jesus was the truth. Jesus' works testified of who He was. He also could call up His works, I mean His words, and they also testified to the truth, but He had more than that. He had people. He had His people that would testify to the truth. What does John the Baptist say? When John the Baptist comes on the scene, he says, I'm not the light. He says, I'm not the light, but I came to bear witness to the light. I came to testify about the light, right? So if Jesus was on trial for is he or is he not the son of God, let's call up some witnesses. Let's call up John the Baptist. Let's call up, um, let's call up his disciples. Let's call up all the people. Like if I, if I was the, uh, representing the Lord and, I, and we had him on trial, so all right, let's call up the woman that had an issue of blood. 
Let's call up the man with the withered hand. Let's call up the widow whose son had died. Let's call one after another, after another, after another, that the Lord had done mighty works in to testify that he is who he says he is, right? I would call up people. I would call up Paul. You know, you know Paul, there's a time that Paul, as he did many times, found himself in sort of a pickle. And there was a mass of people who wanted to rip him apart. And there was uh, another group of people that they really weren't sure what to believe. And so to keep the mob from just tearing Paul to shreds, they take him in the castle overnight until the next day. And as Paul is laying in the castle that night, the Lord comes to him and he says, just like you have been a witness to me in Jerusalem, he says, I don't want you to be afraid because you're also going to testify and be a witness for me in Rome. You see, Paul was a witness to testify that the Lord is who he says he is. Right? Now, sometimes I think about when Jesus was on the cross and he was hanging there. If, if you read the accounts and the Gospels of, of when the Lord was crucified, do you ever ask yourself, where in the world were all of these people who had been the recipients of these miraculous works, where were they? It looks like as many times, you know, John even says, if I wrote down everything that the Lord ever did, that the world would not be able to contain the books of what all he had done. Just the ones that we have written accounts of, where were all those people that Jesus had healed in miraculous ways as he's on trial and he's hanging on the cross? Well, if any of them, even if it even crossed their minds to go, they probably were hanging out with Peter, right? Outside the gate, not wanting to acknowledge the Lord, right? You remember the, the, man, the man that was born blind? And, and I, this is in John, uh, the book of John 2, the man that was born blind and Jesus, uh, and Jesus heals him. Remember I talked about he mixed the, the mud up with his spit, put it on his eyes. When the, when the people of the temple, when the Jews in the temple found out about that, they kind of got all in a tiz about it because it was on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, right? And so they called the man's parents forward and said, you need to tell us about your son and, and him being born blind, and, and they wouldn't have anything to do with it. They, and the Bible says they would not say, my son was healed by a man named Jesus who is the Christ, and how in the world could, it, could he be anything but that because of what he's done? And his parents wouldn't do that. His parents were afraid of the Jews. And so they just, he's, like, he's a grown man, ask him. Ask him about his eyes. We don't want to acknowledge the Lord because they were afraid. Peter was afraid, right? Peter was afraid of the Jews and what might happen the very night that they took, his, took the Lord, put him in some sort of mock trial and beat him and crucified him, right? Peter hid from all of that. So I wonder where were all the people that had, in, had been beneficiaries of the Lord's miraculous works at the cross? We don't read an account where they started to drive the nails and the woman with issues of the blood said, stop, stop. Don't you remember what he did for me? And the man with the withered hand, don't you remember what he did for me? They were nowhere to be found, right? No witnesses for the Lord on the very night he was arrested and crucified. Well, let me say this. There were witnesses. 
There were plenty of witnesses, but the Bible says they were false witnesses. It sounds like when I read it, they had them lined up from here to kingdom come of people that would testify falsely against Jesus. They would lie to get him in trouble. They would lie to be able to carry out this crucifixion. But where were the true witnesses? Nowhere to be found, right? Now, <clears throat> so I want you to think about your life. What's the purpose of your life? There was a book written, I don't know, some, some many years ago, I guess, uh, Purpose Driven Life. Never read it. Maybe great. Don't know. But the whole deal was about, uh, you know, finding your purpose in this world. And, and I thought about that as I, as I asked myself this question, like, what is our purpose in this life? And, you know, really, uh, we might say one thing, but it seems like we believe that our purpose in this life is to uh, find some sort of worldly achievements that we can, you know, hang our hat on, right? We want to go, uh, you know, we want to go get good educations and we want to excel at sports and <clears throat> we want to have great jobs and, you know, we want to do all these things and achieve things in a worldly sense, right? And I'm not saying that those things are wrong and I'm not saying those things are bad, but that's not why you're here. Right. You know, you go through talking about, oh, I got to get a great education and I got to, and those things are good. Don't misunderstand me. But the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about going to get a good education. But the Bible says a whole lot about how we're supposed to live. Amen. And a lot of times we will lay aside how we're supposed to live to go pursue something that the Lord doesn't really say a whole lot about. Right? What's your purpose? Is your purpose to be the best sports player you can possibly be? Is it to climb the ladder of success? Is it to get so many likes on Facebook? There's all types of things that we pursue and we kind of get our focus honed in on that this is just what I'm about. This is what I'm about. I'm about this. My life is this. This is my goal in this life. How many times do you stop and think about that that's really not your goal in this life? From the Lord's perspective, I believe the Lord would rather you be as poor as dirt, right. but be a true, faithful, shining light of a witness for Him Amen. than to have all the accolades of the world. Right. Have you thought about that? What type of witness are you? Worldly achievements. <clears throat> I think one thing that hangs us up sometimes about that is we feel like I'm just kind of a nobody. I'm a nobody. I can't make any influence. You know, and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I struggle with that sometimes too. You know, we are very much in a time uh, in our world where every man does what is right in his own eyes. Somebody told me a long time ago, people are going to do what they want to do. And I have found that to be 100% accurate. People are going to do what they want to do. You can talk to them, minister to them, help them, whatever you want. But they're ultimately going to do what they want to do, right? Somebody, an old preacher in Tennessee told me one time, he sat down, he said, Luke, he's like, I'm an old man. And I've been preaching a long, long time. And he said, I have finally figured out why people don't come to church. And I said, well, tell me why that is. He says, because I don't want to. 
people are going to do what they want to do. If people want to be here, they're going to be here, right? People are going to do what they want to do. We're living in a time where every man <clears throat> does what is right in his own eyes, right? <clears throat> and we think, well, I can't make a change in an environment like that. I can't be any kind of influence when we live in a world where people are just going to do what they want to do. It's a hard time in the world to preach, if you ask me. It's a hard time to influence people, if you ask me. Because we live with that mindset, we're just going to do what we want to do. And we think, well, we're nothing. We can't do anything. And I always go back. Think about the boy with the five loaves and the two fishes. He probably said the same thing. I can't do anything. No, you can't. But the Lord can take what you've got and do great things. Right? I want you to think about some of the men in the Bible who stood up to be a witness for the Lord, but they pretty much stood up alone. Right? I want you to think about Elijah. I think this is in 1 Kings 17 or 19, somewhere in that range. Elijah stood up against 850 false prophets. 850 false prophets of Baal. 400, well, 400 prophets of the groves, I think it was, and 450 prophets of Baal. 850 false prophets together and one man named Elijah stood up against them and they had their contest and for the sake of time I won't go through it with the two altars the 850 called on Baal to come down and consume the fire very sincere now very sincere so sincere about their false god they were cutting themselves right but sincerity don't get you real real far it's not about how sincere you are because if sincerity got you anywhere, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves would have been at the top of the list. But you'll find out very shortly that they died because of their, uh, what they were doing. One man, named, one man named Elijah called on his God after he had soaked the altar with water so much so that it filled a trench up around it. One man called on God and it consumed the altar and it licked up all the water. Fire doesn't lick up water unless God's controlling it. Fire licked up all the water around the altar. That's one man against 850. What about Noah? It was Noah against the world, right? Noah. One man, Noah, built an ark with his three sons and their wives and his wife against who knows the multitudes that were living in wickedness, doing what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it. That's what... That's what the Bible says. In the days of Noah, people were just running around doing what they, whatever they wanted to do, whatever impulses they had, they did them. Except for Noah, we'll hear who is faithful. Now, every time that Noah slammed a pin or a nail or whatever he had, connecting all those pieces of wood, every time he slapped the pitch and the tar on every time, every minute, every second, he worked on that altar. It was a testimony against the evil deeds of the world. Every time. So oh, I can't be a, a, a witness against the evil deeds of the world. Well, yes, you can because Jesus was. It is the lot of God's people to be a witness against the evil deeds of this world. And we'll get to that in a little bit, maybe. But every time Noah worked, every second he worked on that ark, he was bearing witness of the truth and he was testifying against the evil deeds of this world. If you go back to Luke, the second chapter, one of the things that the devil uses against us is to convince us that we're nobodies. Well, you are a nobody. The Bible tells you you're a nobody. But you're everything in Christ. 
In Luke, the second chapter, Jesus is 12 years old. His, his mother Mary and his earthly father Joseph have gone into Jerusalem uh, for the feast of the Passover. And once they have completed the feast of the Passover, they begin their journey back home. The Bible says they were gone about a day, about a day's journey from Jerusalem. And a day after they've been gone, they realize that Jesus is not with them, 12 years old. And I'm sure that there's a little bit of panic that sets in. Where is Jesus? Well, I thought he was over there. I thought he was here. I thought, I don't know where he is. And they, they began to look for him. They looked for Jesus for three days. They're only gone from Jerusalem one day. But they look for him for three days. And the Bible says that they assumed he was with the company. They assumed he was in the multitude of people that were traveling with them. So they probably went back through all those people. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Well, I don't know. We were, we were all there laying down taking a nap. Maybe he's still by the tree. Well, let's go check the tree. Not by the tree. Well, maybe he went over there. He found a little creek he was playing in. It's 12. Maybe he's throwing rocks in the creek. Let's go check. Not there. For three days, they went looking for Jesus until they eventually get back and find him in the temple. Now, what's the point of that? Is they assumed that Jesus was in the multitude. They assumed that he would be in that mass of people. And that's something that we struggle with today is that we assume that the Spirit of God is going to be shining the brightest where the most people are, right? We assume that, the, that wherever the, the, the multitude is worshiping God or, or doing whatever it is that they're doing in, in their church service, we assume that, oh, the Lord's got to be there. They've got to be in the multitude. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Uh, I don't know. You primitive Baptists are just, I don't know, you're kind of just a small little number. How can all these other people be wrong? Have you ever heard that? How can all these other people be wrong? Well, listen. The largest denomination in this world, most of those people that say, well, Luke, how can all these other people be wrong? Most of those people would disagree with the largest denomination in the world. And you want to say, well, how can all those people be wrong, right? You see, just because a lot of people are doing it and a lot of people are believing it and a lot of people are, are worshiping this, doesn't mean that they're right. Because Jesus is not always in the multitude. How many people, do you remember after the crucifixion and the resurrection, how many people were gathered together? They're worshiping. It was 120 people. Out of the tens of thousands that were affected by the ministry of Christ, there was 120. Jesus is not always in the multitude. Sometimes Jesus is in the small number way over here. And I trust that he's in our small number, which is not that small anymore. Our small number here in Ecola, right? Think about Elijah. Think about Noah. <clears throat> Think about Stephen, right? Remember Stephen? Acts the seventh chapter? Stephen stood there pretty much alone while the whole multitude there uh, pummeled him with rocks until he died. But listen, don't think that just because you are one person that you cannot make a difference if your efforts are mixed with the power of God. So ask yourself this, what type of witness are you? What type of witness are you? And how do you witness? 
How do you be a witness for the Lord? Think about that. So, oh, I want to be a witness for the Lord. How do you do that? Listen, I'll tell you this. It's primarily by how you live. The primary way you can be a witness to the Lord is how you live, right? I want you to think about this. Every time you're in a restaurant, and every time in that restaurant, before you eat your food, you bow your head in prayer. Do you know that you are testifying and being a witness for the Lord? Do you know that? Every time you do something as small as publicly offering a prayer of thanks in a multitude of people, that's bearing witness to the truth. That's testify. How you live, listen, the way you conduct your marriage is a testimony to the Lord if you're doing it in the right way, right? If you live in a biblical way, as far as your marriage is concerned, that's bearing witness to the Lord, right? Now look, if, you're, if your marriage is in shambles and you're selfish and you're prideful and your marriage is falling apart, you're not being a witness to the truth, right? But a husband who is being a godly husband, a wife who is being a godly wife, children who are being obedient godly children, all of those things testify to the truth and to the Lord. Amen. How you live is a huge witness to the Lord, how you conduct your business. You know, I have known people over the years that boy on Sunday, they were just, you know, jammed up, jelly tight, God fearing people. But when business time came on Monday, they were shrewd and hard and deceitful. Listen, you're not being a witness to the Lord when you operate your business that way. You're not being a witness to the Lord when you kind of cut corners on your taxes. When you sit down and say, yeah, it seems like it would be better for me to do things this way for myself, but I'm going to do them this way because that's the way the Lord told me to do them. That all testifies to the Lord. So what kind of witness are you? Now, listen, it goes beyond. It goes beyond just how you live. OK, it goes beyond just how you live. I would like to think that the way that Tiffany and I conduct our marriage is pleasing to the Lord, and I pray it's a good example, and I pray that it's a witness to the truth. But concerning marriage, sometimes to really bear witness of the truth, I've got to do more than just live that. You know, not, not too long ago, the defini a definition of marriage came up in our country, right? Well, listen, there's a lot of people... There's a lot of husbands and wives that have no problem with marriage being defined however you want it to be defined. So just because I have a, a marriage, a good marriage with a woman, doesn't necessarily testify that there's ways out there that are wrong. It takes me taking a stand and speaking the truth. Do you know that's why they hated Jesus? It says they hated Him because he testified that the works of the world were evil. You want a fast track. You want to get on the fast track to be unpopular? Be a person that testifies against the evil deeds of the world. That's a fast track to be unpopular. But brothers and sisters, when the sky parts and we see the Lord coming down and ascending with a shout, popularity ain't going to matter to us. Right? There comes a time that God's people have to speak out against the darkness that is in this world. That's another way that you can be a good witness. If you just kind of say, well, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. I don't really want to rock the boat. I'm just going to kind of 
You're not being a witness. Now, let's go back to the first question. What type of witness are you? Okay. Let's say that we call you up on the witness stand. And we're going to see what kind of witness are you? One of the lawyers comes up and says, you, you, you love the Lord? Yes, sir. Love Him. You go to church? Yep. Faithful. Never miss. You read your Bible? Yes. Sing? Yes. Boy, it sounds good. But what if the other lawyer comes up to cross-examine you? And I know I harp on this all the time, but I feel like it's important. What type of language do you use? What type of things do you watch on TV? What types of things are you doing on the weekends? What type of people are you hanging out with? What things are you looking at when nobody's around? How honest are you in the business that you run? Well, the next thing you know, maybe that guy has made you look a lot less of a good witness than you originally were. Well, brothers and sisters, the world sees it all. The world sees all of that. And I'm here to tell you, the Bible has told us, the Lord said, come out from them and be separate. God's people should be different than the world. And if you want your witness and you want your testimony to amount to anything, you've got to be faithful in what you watch, who you're around, how you speak. And I told you a couple Sundays ago, it's mind-boggling to me the things that some of God's people openly broadcast that they do or watch or how they talk. It's mind-boggling to me. And I'm not up here on my high horse because I've still got my own struggles that I lay bare before the Lord, but it's mind-boggling to me like at least... At least for the sake of your testimony, hide those things. Quit broadcasting them. But listen, nobody's ever going to take you seriously as a witness if you're one way on Sunday and another way the other six days of the week. Nobody, I guess that's my whole sermon in one sentence. Nobody's going to take you seriously. I think about this Roe versus Wade thing and just the gnawing on my own heart was that if that had not been overturned, I feel like the judgment on America was hanging in the balances. And I even told Tiffany this. I said, if this thing is not overturned, you know, God's, God's long-suffering in this life comes to an end. Did you know that? Like, God is long-suffering. If you guys don't know what that word, that means patient. God is patient with us in this life. But you know that patience comes to an end. You saw it come to an end, uh, his long suffering come to an end in the days of Noah, right? Time and time and time again, as you read through this Bible, you will see the, Lord, the Lord's long suffering. Eventually, the Lord says, you, how many times did he do it with Israel? You have sinned against me for the last time. And listen, for those of you that are my people, when you close your eyes in death, you're going to open them up to see us in heaven. But for the time being, on this side of your death, I'm stepping back and I'm leaving you alone. My blessings will stay with me. I will no longer sustain you. I'm leaving you to your own devices. 
And the Lord's long suffering comes to an end, right? <clears throat> Lost my train of thought. I don't want the Lord's long suffering to come to an end. And sometimes I feel like with the case of Roe versus Wade, I wonder, was he ready to step back? But yet, there were some faithful witnesses that stood up and said, I don't think we're going to do this anymore. I realize there are states that are still going to do it. I pray that Alabama's not one of them. I pray, and we tell, talk to our kids about it, I pray that we can continue to live in a state where the abiding by of God's law still shines bright. So if nothing else, corporately in Alabama, we can be a witness to what is right. And in many other areas too, right? I'm glad that we live in the state that we live in. Your purpose in this life is not to be the MVP. I hope you are though. You know, I hope you're the MVP. I hope you can climb the ladder. I hope you can do all those things that, that, you know, that bring us joy. But don't ever forget that which is highly esteemed in the sight of the Lord is an abomination in the sight of God. Sometimes the things that our little play pretties that we hold real tight to our chest, sometimes God doesn't even like those things. He really doesn't like them if they interfere with your relationship with Him. Our purpose in this life is to be a faithful and true witness to who the Lord is and what is right. That's your purpose in this life. So ask yourself, what kind of witness am I? Am I the type of witness that would come up here and men would for the most part find blameless? Or am I the type of witness that would come up here and when the cross-examination came over, I would hang my head in shame? Right? What type of witness are you? I encourage you to go through the Bible and read about the types of witnesses. Faithful witness, true witness, deceitful false witness, ungodly witness. And think about what type of witness you are. I hope that that has been profitable for you. Please pray for Brother Tim and his family as they continue to travel. He will also be gone next week. So don't skip church just because you know he's not going to be here. That would hurt my feelings. <clears throat> continue to pray for our country. Uh, continue to pray for uh, the um, clinics um, that uh, it's the that save a life. The Save a Life Clinic. Those types of clinics, as Brother Tim has mentioned, one of our friends runs the Save a Life Clinic in Tuscaloosa. Their work is just now starting. Uh, pray that God's people will turn their heart back towards Him. One of the things that I'm convinced of is that God's way does work. And when we do things God's way, even though it goes against necessarily maybe what we want, in the end and in the long run, God's ways are better for us. Amen. Right? You got fornication over here, and I'm going back to that. Fornication may be what you want. But in the long run, God's way will bring you way more blessing and way more satisfaction to abstain from that. You know, I remember when I was back in high school. When I was back in high school, um, there, were, there, there became, maybe junior high, there was a big push in, uh, and I'm going to be very discreet here, a big push in the world of intimacy to be safe, right? And you understand what I'm saying. 
And I can remember back in junior high school, <clears throat> I remember grieving over that. That the push shouldn't be to be safe. The push should be to abstain, right? But we pushed safety, and I thought, oh, goodness, I don't feel like that. And I, look, I understand that that's important. But I pray that there are preachers out there who will be bold enough to go back to preaching abstinence, right? That will go back to preaching against uh, you know, the marriage bed being defiled because that causes so many problems in the lives of ch children of God that we could go back to those things and realize that God's way in the long run is so much better than our ways. Oh, I can't even remember if I shut the garage door. How can I guide myself through this life? It's the Lord who needs to guide us and direct us, right? I hope those words have been profitable to you.